Thanks, Sheba. Great. Yes, so um, we're carrying on in the book of John. It's been great seeing you all um, discussing um, John each week on the um, Swinton group chat. I do just like check in every so often. I must confess, I don't, you produce on that group chat, so I don't read all of them. Um, but I, I dip in every so often and see what's going on in our Swinton family. Um, and um, it's been great to see you... Um, yeah, just discussing um, the different chapters of John as we work through together. Um, remember, we said the lenses that we want to use um, to help us focus, if you like, this year are discipleship and mission. So what does it mean to faithfully follow Jesus? And what does it mean to represent him and to, um, to share the amazing news of who he is in our world? And so we're keeping those lenses on, if you like. Like as we go through um, John's gospel together, thinking about discipleship and mission. And, and I guess in, in that sense, it's not that difficult because John's gospel is full of um, discipleship um, and mission. So we're on John chapter 3, and we're going to read, we won't read the whole chapter, we're going to read um, the first 21 verses from John um, chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, or you've got the Bible on your phone, you might want to read along um, as we read through that together. John chapter 3, and verses um, 1 to 21. I think you've like missed the first two slides already, Tunji. John 3, 1 to 21. <laughs> you with me? There you go. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So we're going to work through this um, passage uh, together. Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious expert. He was professional at religion. He, was, um, he would have seen himself as a, a godly, holy person. He would have studied um, the scriptures. Um, and if we um, remember from reading the end of John chapter 2, um, Jesus, if you remember in John chapter 2, he cleared the temple um, and, and overturned the tables. And, and then after that, it says that um, Jesus was performing signs and, and many people have believed when they saw the signs that Jesus um, was performing. Um, so they'd seen all this going on. They'd seen um, Jesus performing signs, whatever they were, and they'd to some extent believed but it said that Jesus didn't entrust himself to them so there was there was something going on they were attracted to to the commotion to the to the signs that Jesus they were impressed it seems with the signs that Jesus was doing but but still there was something more because Jesus didn't entrust himself to them and then it says Nicodemus comes start of chapter 3 and he comes at night now that's significant. Um, the Bible's full of imagery and John uses particular images. And one of the images that, that is, becomes familiar to us as we read through the Gospels is this idea of being of the night often implies being of, of darkness. It implies a lack of belief, a lack of faith. Light, remember, um, conveys to us Jesus making himself known, the truth. Uh, and so kind of like night and darkness is, is the opposite of that. So even though Nicodemus, we're told, has kind of like been impressed with Jesus, there's still something lacking. He comes to him at night. Maybe he comes at night because he's not yet ready for everyone to know that he's tempted to believe in Jesus. Maybe he's not yet ready to go public on his belief and he doesn't want the other Pharisees. Maybe he's worried about losing his position. Like, if I follow Jesus, then what will all the other Pharisees think about me? Um, some of us can relate to that, can't we? That maybe we struggled with that when we first grappled with whether to be, give our lives to Jesus and follow him. What will other people think of me? What will um, other people around me, what my friends at school or my work colleagues, what will people think of me? Um, so maybe Nicodemus is, is struggling with that. Or maybe it's just an image to, to say that actually there was still a lot going on in Nicodemus's life that he, he hadn't yet fully come to the point of trusting in Jesus. But he comes to him at night. And as we've said, Nicodemus knows that Jesus is a teacher from God. 
He knows that that Jesus is doing impressive things. It tells us that in the passage. But clearly that's not enough because Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. And he says to Nicodemus, very truly. Now whenever Jesus says very truly or older translations say verily, verily or amen, amen. It's almost like a clue that Jesus is about to say something quite significant, quite profound. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Very truly, I tell you, no one, you can't see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus is impressed that he's performing some signs. He's he's a religious expert, but Jesus just says, no, hang on a minute. You can't see. Now, when he says you can't see, what he means is you can't participate in. You can't enter into, in fact, he's about to go on and make that really clear. You can't enter into, you can't be part of the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now, what does he mean? We've talked a lot, haven't we, in the past about this phrase, kingdom of God. Remember, he's not talking about um, this place you can go to when you die. He's talking about the rule of God. He's talking about God's reign in heaven and on earth. He's talking about everything being the way God intends it to be. He's talking about the love of God. He's talking about the justice of God, where people are all treated fairly. He's talking about um, righteousness. He's talking about the end to all war. He's talking about um, no crime. He's talking about peace. He's talking about healing. He's talking about God's perfect order, life as God always intended it to be. And he says, you can't know that life. You can't know real life like God intended it to be lived unless you're born again. Now, that phrase, born again, can equally be translated born from above. The word means both. It can mean both again or from above. And so theologians, Bible scholars have argued a little bit over, well, what is Jesus really saying here? And many of them come to the conclusion he probably deliberately was giving both senses. But it becomes clear to us in the discussion that follows that Jesus definitely did mean um, born from above, which of course also means born again, because if you've been born naturally the first time and now he's saying you've got to be born from above, then obviously you've got to be born again. Um, But Nicodemus, he does understand, he does know that you you can't go back into your mother's womb um, and be born a second time. I mean, it looked painful enough when I witnessed Judith giving birth to three babies. I I think giving birth to an adult would probably draw the line there. But, you know, he's not stupid. He knows people can't go back and be born a second time. But this would have been very common in that, in dialogue, in that kind of time, to kind of draw out, to press the issue by excluding the impossibilities. It was a very common way in their culture of kind of like Nicodemus is kind of saying, well, what do you really mean, Jesus? Um, And so he says, well, surely they can't go in to their mother's womb and um, be born again a second time. And so Jesus says um, to him, he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God, verse 5, unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. 
Now again, people have kind of wondered, well, what does Jesus mean here, born of water and the Spirit? So some people have said, oh, it's baptism. You've got to be baptized in water and you've got to be baptized in the Spirit. And some people have said, no, 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 he's talking about you've got to be born naturally because like, you know, when you have a natural birth, the waters break and then the baby's born and then and that's, you've got to be born naturally and then you've got to be born of the Spirit. Well, if we look at the other times in John's Gospel, and so I'm giving you a sneak preview of some of the things we're going to look at in the future, but if we look at the other times in John's Gospel, when John has Jesus talking about, because you know the different Gospel writers, they were all talking about Jesus, but they picked out different things, didn't they, to draw our attention to, and whenever John kind of draws our attention to Jesus talking about water, it has a, a recurring meaning in John's Gospel. So in, in John chapter 1, we already read, um, Jesus is baptized in water and what happens? The spirit comes upon Jesus. And John makes a big deal, doesn't he? He says, I baptize in water, but after me, one is coming who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Then in John chapter 2, there is water that is for purification and the old kind of Jewish ceremony of purification. And Jesus comes and turns it into wine. He takes something from the old and he makes it something better miraculously in the new and then in, some, in John chapter 4 um, which we haven't read yet there's a Samaritan woman who's at Jacob's well and that's really kind of like religiously significant to the Samaritans Jacob's well and she's really you know talking about this water in, in Jacob's well and Jesus says well I've got water that's better than the water in Jacob's well. I've got the spirit to offer you. Yeah? And then in John chapter 5, there's a lame man at the pool in Bethesda. And the pool in Bethesda is religiously significant. And it's, you know, people used to go there to get healing. And Jesus shows the man at the pool of Bethesda, actually, I've got something better than what you had in the ceremony of the old way of doing things. I've got real healing. I've got real life um, to offer you. And then in John chapter 7, Jesus promises rivers of living water um, that will flow out of people. And it says very clearly there, by this he means the Spirit. Um, and so it goes on throughout the Gospel of John. Again and again, this idea of water symbolizes the Holy Spirit offering us true life, real life, that goes beyond the kind of shadows that we saw in the past under the old, old religious way of doing things. There's something more than the religion they've experienced so far. There's real, true life in the Spirit. Yeah, does that make sense? And so when Jesus says, I tell you, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Interestingly, you can even translate the grammar there as you must be born of the water of the Spirit. So it seems whatever else he's saying, maybe he's referring to baptism, but if he is referring to baptism, he's, he's linking it with how he received the Spirit at his baptism. He's definitely emphasizing when he says this, you need something spiritual to take place. 
You can't do this in your own effort. You can't do this just by following religious practices. Um, you can't do this for us in our context. It, you can't just turn up at church and think that's you earning your place in heaven. It says if you want to see God's rule, if you want to see life the way God intended it to be, if you want to see God transforming our world, if you want to be a part of that, if you want to be part of peace and righteousness and justice and the world becoming the way God wants it to be, then you're not going to be able to do it just by being a religious person. You're not going to be able to do it just by following the rules and the regulations. You need something to change. You need something to happen on the inside. You need God to do something inside of you by his Holy Spirit. And that becomes available to us in Jesus. So in John's Gospel, when it comes to Jesus talking about water, the emphasis is always going to be on a new and better life in the Holy Spirit. And it can't be done through human effort. It has to come from above. It has to come from above. Like the wind, Jesus says. Now, again, Jesus is playing with us a little bit here. We miss it in English, but in the Greek, the word for wind and breath is the same as the word for spirit. So when he says the spirit is like the wind, he's actually saying the spirit is like the spirit. Um, but he, he's playing with us and helping us, helping his hearers who would have got that in the original language. But the wind, it's like it, we don't know where it's come from or where it's going, but we feel its effects. We can't master the wind. We can't kind of control the wind, can we? And, and so Jesus is making the point, we need God to do something in our lives. You can't just manufacture it. You can't just put on a service. You can't, with our, with our man-made religion, we, can't, we need God to do something in our lives. And Jesus says, this is really basic foundational stuff. And he, he gets a bit cross with Nicodemus because Nicodemus like, can't get his head around it. And he says, my goodness, Nicodemus, you're supposed to be the religious expert. And you can't get this. He says, if you can't understand earthly things, and, and so here he, he's, like, he's like saying, being born again, being born from above, that's like an earthly thing. That's a basic. And it reminds us, if you remember, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, where it says there that we should be moving on from foundational things, like repentance and being baptized and filled with the Spirit. Um, it's saying, Jesus is saying, this is like, this is like you know, the very beginning this is like New Life 101. This is get born again. Get, let, let God come and change you on the inside. Because if you can't get this, then you won't get anything else. He says this is so important. And he says it's like when Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you might have been thinking when we read that bit, what on earth is Jesus on about now? Like when he lifted up, when Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Well, in Numbers chapter 21, there's a story of God's people had been being disobedient to God. And um, they were suffering the consequences of their disobedience. And there were all these snakes in the camp and they were biting people and they said oh Moses we've, we've been silly please pray for us and Moses prays to God and God says oh put this bronze snake on a pole it's a weird story um, and he says put this bronze snake on a pole and when people look at the bronze snake if they've been bitten 
then they won't die from the snake bite. Now, obviously, a bronze, it's not like, you know, God's not into magic. Um, and we don't really understand why he did this or, or what was going on. Other than this, you see, it took faith. The people were basically trusting something that God had said to them. If you look at this, then you'll survive. And, they, and so they were putting their faith in something that, that God had done, that God was saying to them. And why he chose the, the bronze snake, I don't know. Uh, apparently that's why some medical organizations have the symbol of a snake on a pole um, to this day. Um, but of course, what this speaks to us about, about this snake being lifted up and people looking to that and putting their trust in that. Jesus is drawing an analogy with himself because later in the gospel he will refer to himself being lifted up in terms of his crucifixion. And also um, lifted up can mean exalted because Jesus is not only going to be crucified but he's after he's died, he's going to rise again, and he's going to be exalted. He's going to ascend into heaven. And so Jesus is using this analogy to speak and say, actually, they, in the old times, they, they looked at this bronze snake and they lived. He's saying, I'm going to be even more than that. You're going to look to me. I died. I rose again. I ascended into heaven. You can look at me and you'll find life. In me, And this is such a theme for John. Life that is available to us in Jesus. What's interesting is if you read on in the Old Testament, um, later in the time of Hezekiah, one of the kings, he ends up destroying that bronze snake because God's people had actually turned it into something that they worshipped. So what, was, what began as like a faith thing ended up as people worshipping the snake yeah and that kind of speaks to us doesn't it because what begins with faith we can sometimes end up in going through the religious motions we can end up putting our confidence back in going to church singing songs it can become about the man-made stuff instead of about the person Jesus Christ but our faith is all supposed to be about relationship with a person a person in whom we find life a person who offers us the opportunity to be born again from above a person who has life in himself and yet we might find ourselves worshipping the equivalent of a bronze snake. We might find ourselves just going through the motions, um, loving our worship songs that we list stream on Spotify, or um, loving our worship service, or oh, wasn't it a good time in church this morning? Or, and we might lose sight of the fact that it's all about a person. It's all about a relationship with him. It's all about life in him. You see, life, and especially eternal life, in John's gospel, always speak about the kingdom of God. In fact, this chapter is the only place in John's gospel where kingdom of God is mentioned. And throughout the rest of the gospel, he's always going to speak about life and eternal life. But he's speaking very much about the life 
of the kingdom. That, was, that would have been commonly understood in that time. Eternal life didn't refer to life that just goes on and on and on and on. Okay, I know we sang this morning um, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Um, and that is true because eternity does, by definition, go on for eternity. Um, but it's not the emphasis when the Bible, and especially John records Jesus talking about eternal life, he's talking about a quality of life. He's talking about the life that God always intended. Because remember, God sits outside of time. He lives in eternity. And he had this wonderful plan and purpose for our world. And then in time, we messed it up by rejecting God's way of doing things. We said, we know best, we'll sort the world out how we want it to be, and we've made a mess of it. But God, who sits outside of time, he offers eternal life, life as he always intended it to be. Life full of justice, and righteousness, and peace, and joy. And he calls us to take that life, and to bring that life into our world. And so when he talks about eternal life and entering into eternal life, he's saying you can have this kingdom life, this life where God rules, where you live the way he calls you to live, and where you experience life more and more as he intends it to be. And so that's why Jesus can talk about entering into the kingdom, entering into eternal life even now, not waiting till you die. Not waiting to go and be in heaven, but say, no, you can enter into life as God intends it to be now. And of course, we know, don't we, we still live in this world and we still experience the brokenness of this world, but it's like an overlap. It's like we begin to taste and experience the age that is to come. And so the message here in John chapter 3 it's the only way that you can live under God's rule because you're not capable of doing it in your own ability. You're not capable of achieving it for yourself. And we know that, don't we? As, as hard as we try, in our effort, we always get it wrong. We always do things we shouldn't do. We always, you know, ultimately go against the way God would have us live in our world. But he says... The way you can be part of what you were originally designed for and created for is I'll come and I'll do something in you by my spirit. And I'll cause you, corrupted and broken as you were in your humanity, I'll cause you to be born again. I'll cause you to be born from the breath of God, like the wind that blows from heaven. And I'll breathe my life into you. I'll breathe new spiritual life into you, and you can begin a new life in me. For God so loved the world. Even though it was broken, even though we messed it up, and we, we made our choices, and and the world ended up broken and full of unrighteousness and war and anger and people being selfish. And, and we were all part of that. But he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him. Now that word believes in him, it doesn't mean like believes facts about him. Literally it says believes into him. It means whoever puts their trust in him and puts their hope in him so much so that their, their life like, becomes joined with his life. You believe yourself into Jesus. 
You trust in him. You offer your life to him. You give your life to following him. And he says, whoever believes into me will not perish, but they will have eternal life. They will begin to experience this life. They will live in this kingdom under God's rule. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. Why? Because the world is in that sense already condemned. It's already suffering the consequences. And we look around us and we see a world at war. We see a world full of natural disasters. We see a world full of disease. We see a world full of oppression and injustice. I mean, it was right in my face when I went to Kabira. But actually, we don't even have to go that far, do we? We see people homeless on the streets of our city. We see people in need. We see people um, suffering as other people prosper. We see injustice. We see all kinds of wrong stuff going on in our world. Our world is already condemned. Our world is already suffering the consequences of our sin, of our rejection of God. Not that God is like directly punishing individuals for individual acts, but God warned us as humanity and he said, live my way because if you don't live my way, it won't work. And we said we wouldn't live his way and it hasn't worked and our world is suffering the consequences. And Jesus says, I have not come to condemn you because the world's already condemned. I've come to save you. I've come to rescue you from that. I've come to offer you life if you will just put your trust and your confidence in me. And I will cause you to be reborn from above. And so we are not called to look around us and judge or condemn the world. We're rather called to look at the world around us with compassion, seeing a broken, hurting, dying world that is suffering the consequences of sin, and to offer hope, and to offer light. Because Jesus says, you know what? The world has loved the darkness because it's fearful of coming into the light, because the world feels shame, because the world feels shame do you know right at the beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve had sinned and what was the first thing they do they became embarrassed they became ashamed of their nakedness and so they covered up yeah before that everyone was just like confident and free and felt no shame but suddenly they need to cover up and then it says they hid from God in the garden you see that's what we do when we realize our brokenness as humanity it leads us to cover up to hide away we feel shame and that's why we don't come into the light. But Jesus wants to take away our shame. He wants to take away our guilt. He wants to enable us to step into the light. And so we are not called to add to the sense of guilt or shame of people around us in the world. We're not sent to condemn the world. But we're sent to lovingly, graciously offer light that people can come and step into the light and find acceptance and rebirth in Jesus. So we must, for us who have already made that decision, we must remember it's not about our human effort. It's not about 
creating religious ceremonies or, or doing good works for the sake of it, trying to put on a good show as a church. All of those things are just supposed to serve the fundamentally important thing, our relationship with Jesus Christ, who is our life. And as we live our life close to him, through the Holy Spirit, he, he pours out in our lives, we become more and more like him. Our hope is always the life of his spirit in us. And that life of God's spirit in us causes us to become light in our world. And we don't judge our world, but we offer hope to our world. And we call others and we say, do you know what? You too, you too can know this new life of Jesus Christ. You can know an end to all sense of shame and guilt. And you can live confidently in a relationship with him. And you can be part of him transforming our world. It's an amazing gospel. And all of this is going to continue to be played out through the rest of John's gospel. And we're going to hear Jesus talking more and more about life. And we're going to hear him talking more and more about the spirit. And we're going to hear him talking more and more about us being sent in that life, in the power of the spirit, to be light in our world. It's an amazing gospel. And we get to be a part of it. So let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for your gospel. We want to thank you that, Lord God, for those of us that have made that decision to follow you, to give our lives to you completely and unreservedly, we want to thank you that we have been born again from above. That what we were powerless to do in our own ability, you have done it by your spirit, Lord God. We've begun a new life in you. And Lord, for those times when we've gone back in any way to kind of living the old life, we say, Lord, forgive us. We come to you again. We want to live that new life, who we are as your children, born again by your spirit from above to be children of God. We're so thankful for that identity and we want to live in that identity. Lord God, we pray for any of us who haven't made that decision, Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, that you offer the opportunity. That you don't come and, and judge and condemn, but you offer life. Lord God, we pray for all of us. Help us not to judge or condemn, but to offer life to the world around us, to the offer the hope of a new beginning in you and help us to live faithfully that life so that it is a witness to those around us of the life that we can have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.